This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the music industry is going through a massive shift and it could change the way your music is delivered to you and how much money people make. Music industry expert Ari Herstand helps us understand how TikTok and streaming services are competing with record labels and why artists are ditching labels altogether in some cases. Plus, Chris Gilbert is in live in Tokyo, brings us bizarre stories from around the world, including a divorce over instant noodles, a sheep charged with murder, and more marital woes. It's all in the Shift daily podcast this is the shift podcast welcome to the international dispatch from our world citizen live from japan new zealand's chris gilbert well he's sober so that's problematic yeah i know it's gonna be a pretty awful segment everybody yeah, that's good. We'll set the bar high. Yeah. Uh, let's be honest. Yeah, uh, in contrast to the rest of the program, it might be a fantastic segment. <laughs> Hawkins cheesies, mate. If only the voice of my uh, my sting, uh, Maddie, was here. He was the Hawkins cheesies. He got me onto Hawkins cheesies, and I was so into the Hawkins cheesies, I had to leave the country. I wouldn't stop eating them. Right. I just love the Hawkins cheesy. I think Hawkins cheesies. I've said it so many times, or I can't believe I'm talking about it this much. It um, it should be the official snack of the show. I reckon. I agree. We agree. Uh, the only ones who don't agree to that is the Hawkins cheesies. It seems. Uh, although Have you reached out. Th- uh, well, uh, no, I haven't. But they have no social media. It's the weirdest thing. Uh, you should introduce Hawkins cheesies to Japan. I mean, you could be like the sole. Uh, importer for the whole country and show those Japanese brothers and sisters of yours there that they could, they could too can enjoy the Hawkins cheesies. I don't think Japan is ready for Hawkins cheesies yet. Like, I mean, it's a collective mentality here, you know, like one, once you pop, you can't stop, you know, and there's going to be orange crumbs over everybody's little white masks everywhere, everywhere you go. And they're going to have little, you know, orange fingerprints and all the, um, on all the business cards. They Perfect. Change. It's going to be it. a hot mess. I'm assuming that you haven't picked through all of our podcasts here on The Shift, Chris Gilbert, but there is a fantastic artist in Calgary named Maggie Hall who was on the show. And Maggie paints Hawkins Cheesy's bags. She's a painter on canvas, and she paints Hawkins Cheesy's bags as some of her subjects. It's amazing. So I like a still life sort of thing you know like you know the old fruit bowl but it's you know the 21st century and so it's a bag of potato chips well yeah kind of like that we'll tell you what here i'm going to post this up we've shared this before at uh, shiftheads.ca it's in the chat so you can see it right now i'll repost it for everybody on the facebook group as well uh take a little look painting i'm having a look right now oh that's oh that's that's very good it it looks like a real bag of Hawkins cheesies, and it, but the only thing is that it's empty, so it's a little bit dissatisfying. Um, um, I like I like a nice plump full bag of, you know what? I feel like we're talking about Hawkins cheesies too much at this point. Um, I'm I'm, I'm not getting uh, paid by Hawkins cheesies or anything. I'm just a big fan, and um, I didn't realize um, apparently how much I missed them until we started talking about them. There you go, and. Um, also, as you said, like uh, I'm, 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 I'm sober at the moment, and so I think my brain is just like looking for anything at the moment, and I think it's fixated on Hawkins cheesies, and now I can't let go. All right, well, that's fine, no problem. I'm good with it. We could talk about cheesies all day. We love it here so much. But you do have some other stories that you can get us started with. The um, International Dispatch and Sir Christopher Gilbert. I uh, actually, this isn't on the list I sent you guys, but I feel like I should talk about this. Um, there's a sheep that I just came across. And like, you know, like as a journalist in general, I try and, you know, like think about things on uh, the inside, uh, be empathetic with people's point of view, not to stand back and point at things and laugh and go, look at that, without any context or understanding. I like to, you know, know the context, but even now and then it's nice to forget the context and nice to forget the cultures of difference and just step back and laugh at things. Um, South Sudan. Uh, a sheep has been sentenced to three years in prison um, for killing a woman, and hmm. uh, and uh, the sheep. Were, and it's very sad about the, for the woman, but uh, the sheep was arrested uh, and uh, sentenced to three years in jail in South Sudan early this month 
and attacked a woman who later died from her injuries. Uh, the quote here from the police in South Sudan is that the ram attacked by hitting the woman in the ribs and the old woman died immediately. Emphasis there on old woman. You know, I think like a chill wind might have knocked this one off. Um, the police said our role is, uh, as the police is to provide safety and, um, and separate fights. Uh, the ram was apprehended and is currently under custody at a police station. In a jail cell, I imagine. Um, it was taken to a local jail. It was found guilty of murder. I, I no information there about the um, the trial and the sentencing uh, procedures. Um, the owner is innocent, and the ram is the one who perpetrated the crime, so it deserves to be arrested. And then later on, the case shall be forwarded to the customary court, where the case will be handled amicably. The local court has also ruled the owner of the sheep has to pay the victim's family five cows as compensation, as reported by. NDTV in South Sudan. Um, you know, so it'd be really you unfair know, uh, as if they had to pay in sheep, <laughs> like flashback well, city. Well, apparently, the that when the uh, uh, like I saw it in a in a in a story uh, another story on this that is in some kind of correctional facility camp where and I, I'm not sure what it's doing there. Probably getting its knuckles tattooed and doing push-ups. Um, but also, by the way, you should see this ram it's a one mean looking ram it's like all scrawny and scrappy it's got with one of those like that far away distant look in its eyes it's not a nice ram and uh but apparently when it gets out the uh as lo- as well as the five cows the uh the, the family that owns the ram has to give it as well to the victim family and uh i tell you what i don't know if they'd be so keen to have the animal that killed grandma um you know, just hanging around the house all the time. You know, mm. that would be kind of weird, I think, anyway. I Unless it was in the form of a chop on a plate. Uh, I mean, you really got to Google this ram. There's not a lot in it. It's got like, uh, man, it's, I don't, actually, I don't know how it did it. It's got like legs, like toothpicks. Um, it's it's really not a nice looking animal. Anyway, it's in jail. And uh, as I said, I don't like to point and laugh without context but in this case i'm pointing and laughing like <laughs> arresting sheep what's up with that well uh since that one was uh not on the list i'm not quite sure where you'd like to go next chris so why don't you just take oh, it away sorry, yeah <laughs> sorry I, I just i found that one at the last minute and i was like you know what i want to talk about this and i'm sure there's some kind of segue i can do and like no no segue i'm just going to talk about the sheep um we're going to jump to japan where i currently am and um, there is a survey, there was a survey that was done here where um, apparently hard, they, they, they interviewed people working at companies with more than 300 employees. So that was the benchmark. I had to have more than 300 employees. And, and they, they interviewed a whole bunch of uh, employees from a whole bunch of different companies. And they found that over half reported having an old man who does nothing in their office. Um, and so the headline for this story is survey suggests that about half of Japanese companies have an old guy who does nothing, um, <laughs> which is great. You know, uh, I think we all need one. Um, but you know, it's a real thing here that like, uh, you know, companies usually reward seniority, uh, instead of, um, you know, like they, people, you, it's very hard to get fired. You know, you can't really get fired from your job for doing nothing. You cannot get your bonus. You cannot get your pay raise as your your uh, a pay raise. You can just sit on the same salary. And if you're really bad at your job, you can be put in in quotation fingers the room, uh, which What's is a very room? mysterious room. Yeah, I've only heard about this um, through like uh, old fables and tales. But apparently, at the major companies here, there is a room that you go to to be shamed into quitting because they can't fire you and so what you do in the room is you get you sit there with a computer and it's kind of like george costanza when he doesn't know if he has the job or not on seinfeld and so he just starts going but he doesn't know what his job is so he just sits there for like nine hours a day and then goes home that's what the room is is that you just sit there with the computer and you do facebook and you do like online pachinko i don't know what you do but you just browse the internet all day and mm. apparently it's meant to shame you into quitting because they can't fire you here um 
but I, I've told this to a whole bunch of my friends back home and they were like, awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, this really work on a Western audience. This one, this one could really strike home a little bit because there was an event over the weekend this weekend that I don't know if you've heard about, but uh, Ryan O'Donnell went to the bar and he was the oldest guy in the bar. And, um, and I, so I'm pretty much, I think he's like that guy. He's the old guy at the Japanese company that needs to go to the room of shame now. Was it the uh, the dessert bar at Pizza Hut? Hey, it was a it was actually an arcade bar, so there were like you know arcade games and younger people than me. Well, hey, you know what would be great about an arcade bar? At least if you go there, you know everybody in there is single. You know, this place is pretty hip. This Ouch. is one of the top places to go in uh, YYC right now. I gotta, I gotta tell Not you. Not even uh, Daddy O. It's the hippest, coolest, stimulus like arcade bar this side of Calgary. There were Unless people making out guy. on a pinball machine, which was something I had never seen before. Wow, that's so. like kicking back old school '80s style right there. Yeah, that's what you used yeah, to do. yeah. Oh mate, did you did you whistle at the girls in the short skirts while over your your cold malt drink? And you know, driving the long car to and I don't know, I don't know what old things are. I'm young too. Although, like when I was home, I'm from like a kind of a small town. Well, it's not really that small, but like it's small by most standards. Anyway, when I was home in New Zealand last month, it's one of those towns where you know everybody, kind of like it's a city, but you, you I know everybody roughly m- my peer group, and so I was looking around at people who were my age the last time I lived there being like oh do i know that person oh do i know that person it's like no no chris they're 10 years younger than you that that's like a child like Mm. (laughs) stop looking stop looking at all these kids you don't know anybody you're old now um so uh ryan i i do somewhat relate and and empathize with your plight of being um uh, a baby-faced 50 year old um at at the snack bar I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know what that's got to do with being in a in a, in a room on on Facebook all day though, with a, a uh, Japanese. It's true, show. but hey, that's where we landed, and that's what happens sometimes here on the shift. I'm Shane Hewitt. I'm in Calgary. So is Ryan O'Donnell. Uh, Brendan Kelly's in Vancouver, uh, with his feet up at the moment, and uh, Sir Christopher Gilbert is in Tokyo, Japan, uh, here with the International Dispatch. Can we talk about this uh, divorced uh, guy? Do you know what magic noodles or- are? Have you got magic noodles over there? Not that I'm aware of. Well, you got some kind of instant noodle? Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Noodles. Mr. Noodles. That's that's, Itchy oh, that's adorable. Oh, that's so cute. That's so Canadian. Mr. Noodles. Okay, we got Magic Noodles. Um, Spicy chicken flavor is the best one, by the way. Um, I'll remember that for the next time I'm Correct. in town. Um, but uh, Maggi is a M-A-G-G-I, and it's uh, the main instant noodle in... I think Australia and definitely New Zealand and I guess now um, India um, because a man in India divorced his wife for cooking him instant noodles every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Instant. I mean, it does. to be fair, it doesn't say whether these two people are students or not. And I think if they are students, it's very forgivable. Um, but like, yeah, this is according to a judge. So a judge, his name is M.L. Raghunath. And apparently, he's also got his feet up at some press conference, just kicking back, spinning in the yarns, you know, telling the stories. And he was like, mate, one time at a press conference, I don't know why he's talking about this, but he was like, one time in my court, like uh, in Musuru, in a city in the southwest region of India, um, two people came in, and the husband and wife, and the husband wanted to divorce the wife because, get this, she served him instant noodles every day. In their marriage, uh, the judge did not provide information on the date of the case or the names of the couple involved. The man apparently said his wife would buy packets of manji noodles um, and serve them to him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner throughout the marriage. Uh, eventually, the couple divorced with mutual. This is what I love about it: mutual consent um, under India's Special Marriage Act, 1954. Blah 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 blah. Divorce by mutual consent requires both parties to live separately for one year and then agree to dissolve the marriage. So. Here's what happened. Some lady has a pig-headed sloth of a husband who is like, look, you got to cook me three meals a day. And she's like, mate, if you think I'm cooking you three meals a day, you know what, you know what to expect. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I do. And then like the Homer Simpson thought bubble appears upon, upon his head, above his head, you know, like 
with a big bounty, you know, like a feast of like, you know, four different desserts and like, you know, like ice cream floats and like, you know, like a big fruit bowl or whatever. And she's like, no, 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 you're getting instant noodles every day if you expect me to cook for you. And you can make your own breakfast, lunch and dinner, mate, or cook for me sometimes. And he's like, you know what? The hell with this. I'm going to divorce you. And she's like, good. That's what I was hoping for. And it's, I guess it's a happily ever after. I think you're absolutely right. They say that I can't believe that she would make this food, he says. I would say, buddy, I think you need to read into a little bit of the lack of attention and caring that she's offering you. Maybe you're just not that great to have around and she's trying to flush you out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, the, this story ends with a quote from some professor that talked to the Hindustan Times saying, women bear double brunt here by working as an earning member of the family at the same time and also taking care of the household chores. Thank you, um, Professor Maitra, who spoke to the Hindustan Times for coming, um, bringing us all up to uh, the end of the 20th century with that one. Um, we're yeah. well, like, like we're we're very well. We know the problem. We know we know that very small tip of the iceberg of the problem. Thank you very much. Um, I I so think uh, this woman, uh, not that I know anything about her, um, is a hero. Um, and mate, like hero. ladies out there, like honestly, and uh, I think I'm going to lose some fans amongst the male population, but maybe not. If you like instant noodles, take your your Mister Spicy Chicken, and and if. You know, and that can be your way of passive aggressively communicating to your your partner through some kind of um, toxic communication method that you're not entirely happy inside the relationship. It's very um, passive aggressive. Instant noodles can be the language of resentment across the world. That that's the picture <laughs> I would like to see. It's beautiful, Sir Christopher Gilbert, and the International Dispatch. You got lots of marriage stuff going on here. Uh, some marriage, some anniversary stuff. Oh, you want to talk about the, the quote anniversary story? Yeah, I like that one. Okay, can we can we use the I don't know what the rules are around can we use the word? Um sex. We can, we can say the word, right? Oh, okay, okay, you just did it. Alright, cool. I don't know, like I used to I I, I'm, I was baby reporter and grew up at the public broadcaster where you, you can't use the word sex. You have to say you know, like fuddly waddling or something cute like that, you know, when you work <laughs> no. for the public broadcaster. No, you can't cut is... straight to the chase. A man, it's a word. It's a, a man, word. I'll use it. A man developed sudden amnesia. Um, apparently, this is a real thing. It affects three to five people per hundred thousand after having um, the old rumpy pumpy with his wife, completely <laughs> forgetting his own wedding anniversary party the day before. You're um, gonna have to say that last part again because I was laughing over it. No, I'm, I'm not a jukebox. I, I, I have anything you said after Rumpy Pumpy. Um, okay, well, okay. She okay. Apparently, like most guys, you know, like the trope on the sitcom was like, I can't believe you forgot our wedding anniversary again. But this time, he didn't forget his wedding anniversary. He remembered. He did the wedding anniversary. He did it so well that you know, like. They had their, their an, triannual sexual experience together. And um, it was so good that he postcoitally forgot the wedding anniversary ever happened. Um, mm. Apparently, this is a real thing. It's called like uh, tra transient global amnesia, uh, where it wipes your memory of the previous day after sexual intercourse. And it also uh, temporarily. Uh, like inhibits your ability to like make new memories he is 66 years old um so you know this might happen you know just once a week anyway um but apparently he looked at his phone after having uh relations with his wife saw the date and was like oh my god my wedding anniversary when in fact he'd actually celebrated it with his wife and family the day before um there is a very disturbing part of the story which i want to get to Oh, God, where is in one of these paragraphs? Um, I'm just going to keep reading it. Uh, the memory loss lasted for an hour. Here it is. The man repeatedly questioned his wife and daughter over the events of the morning and the previous day. Oh, The dear. doctor says. I crumba. I think <laughs> me. <laughs> oh, no. That's awkward. You, boy, just, you talk about I... damaging a poor young person. So, um... So how do you even start that? So, um, Mackenzie, um, 
your mother and I love each other very much and we love each other so much she literally blew my mind and I can't remember your name is it Mackenzie I don't know who are you get out of my house oh mate it that has to be the most awkward conversation of that poor girl's life um wild yeah yeah, this is a very, apparently I've read into, well, I've read into, like, in the, come on, like, 10 minutes before the show. I looked into uh, very quickly why this happens. Nobody knows, but this word, or these two words, Valsalva or Valsalva maneuver, keep coming up over and over again. Um, upon Googling, the Valsalva maneuver could be when someone slows their heart rate by holding their nose and breathing out of the, in and out of their mouth to slow down current events, you know, from yep. reaching conclusion. Yes. Um, yep. Thinking about doing the laundry. Also, yeah. Uh, also familiar uh, as uh, the bearing down people might do when lifting weights, uh, defecating, or doing the thing that we're currently talking about. The increased mm. pressure increases the resistance to the blood flowing to the jugular veins in the neck, and the insufficient valves may allow uh, the deoxygenated blood to push back up the neck. Uh, look, I don't know what this means. It means that you forget things for a little bit. And uh, so if you're aged between 50 and 70, and you're three or four of the people inside your peer group of 100,000 people, um, please be careful because you might have a lovely time and not be able to remember it the next day. So that went to a whole different place that I had no idea it was going to go to. Here's what was the note from Chris about this article, and I'm going to share what I thought this was about, which is probably oh. more common than three or four out of 100,000. Ireland, man gets amnesia after sex, but it's okay because he only forgot his wedding anniversary after it happened. The first place <laughs> I thought this story was going to go was, um, well, most men who do these things uh, don't forget their wedding anniversary. They just forgot that they were married um, when they went out and boom. did the rumpy pumpy. Brendan, you need more sound effects in the show, mate. You leave Shane hanging with that one. He needed like a, like a wah or like a, a kazoo or something. I, kazoo? I, I believe in highbrow entertainment, so... I don't do that. <laughs> You're on the wrong show, mate. Um, yeah. Hey. Yeah, there we go. Oh, all the listeners are applauding. Yeah, um, good. Yeah. No, it's not It's not where that went, Shane. Um, mm. It went Thank you, to the though. place. I, mean, I did think of that joke, too, and I was like, you know what? No, I'm also a fan of highbrow entertainment, so I'm not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, <one>. right. <laughs> okay, rumpy pumpy. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite right. term. I bust that one out whenever I can, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's Yo, good. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I can hear the romance in your marriage right now. It <laughs> sounds amazing. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Professional boundaries. <laughs> Ryan, this is why I quit. <laughs> this is why I quit. <laughs> oh, man, we Go passed ahead. that boundary a million yeah. times already. Call HR. Um, yeah. All right, so let's do one more here, Chris, because I like the cell phone one, because every time we could talk about the Yakuza is always good, because I'm not in Japan. Probably less good for you if you make fun of them. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. How's your coffee? Sorry, I had a mouthful of green tea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, yeah, make fun of the Yakuza. That's fine. That's great. Um, yeah, so the, they have these things. I think they're called, um, uh, what are they called? Flip. Flip phones. They're called flip phones. They're also known as gadake here or feature phones. And they've actually been quite common. Um, you can still buy them, you know, in stores because, you know, if you don't want to have the whole package of, you know, the the smartphone, you know, like with all the, the accessibility and all the burden that comes with it, you can just buy a flip phone. And But um, there was a great story like a couple of weeks ago where a girl saw um, somebody holding a knife in a train station, called the police, and the police ran, this is in Japan, ran, ran up and they were like, hey, man holding a knife, what are you doing? And it turns out he was just holding a flip phone and the girl didn't recognize it, you know, from 1999 or whenever the flip phone comes from. The problem is for the Yakuza that they're ending the 3G network here in Japan, um, where it's going up to 4G and 5G and 100G and and whatever signal the vaccination gives, uh, the COVID vaccination gives you, mm. it's all going up, up, up. And so the Yakuza 
you know, with their burners, with their flip phones, they can't use them anymore. So they've got a communication problem on their hands and they can't go get like a smartphone because apparently, you know, they do this whole background check. Um, you know, if you look to be a bit suspicious, if you've got, if you're clearly like, like, I mean, the guys stand out here, let's be honest. They don't know how to not look like Yakuza. And, um, also if you lie on your contract about your criminal record or any affiliation with gangs, um, you know, the police can easily bust you on the silliest, stupidest charge of like lying on a contract. And then, you know, like, you know, Mr. Dealing in crack for 20 years goes to jail for a really long time because he tried to get a cell phone so they've got a a big problem at the moment um because you can't use the old flippies anymore they're gonna die out can't use the burners it's not you know like the wire is now 20 years ago guys you can't get a burner phone anymore and they they can't get a cell phone contract so um i can't remember if we did but i think i might have talked about a while ago that or maybe it was on a, a different radio show that the yakuza are also trying some of the members who are trying to reintegrate into society are also struggling to get um, bank accounts. And if you can't get a bank account, you have to deal in cash. And dealing in cash all the time is kind of a slippery slope down back into gang life. So, like, yeah, like, they can't get bank accounts. They can't use cell phones. And uh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't even know if they can swim. Like, I, like Yakuza <laughs> are out there on a... Oh, and a, and a social island all by themselves, you know, at the moment. And, you know, I kind of kind of feel for them a little bit because, you know, you can't play Angry Birds or, or whatever you do, you know. Snake on a flip phone. They're terrible, they're terrible camera. So. Oh, mate, I remember 2002. 2002 was the first 20 years ago I was in high school and I, and I saw my mate had a flip phone. He was showing it off. He was taking photos where his whole face was one square. You know, he, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so, so jealous. Like, oh, my God, there's an amazing phone. I can take photographs. And, um, yeah, no, beautiful, beautiful high-resolution quality on, on those um, those blocky old things. I used to have the Nokia, the Blue Boy, the big, thick one. You could throw it a- across the road. It wouldn't break. It was amazing. Me, too. I love it. That's fun. I can't believe they're getting in the way of these criminals doing their jobs. They're just trying to work and support oh. the economy. It's incredible. Rude, uh, right? Sir Christopher. How rude, Sir Christopher Gilbert, the International Dispatch, live from Tokyo. All right, Chris, um, make sure you go, you know, work on that romance with the missus. Yeah, um, I can I tell you, can I tell you a quick story before I leave? We're actually going out <laughs> well, to dinner. I'm and, concerned, and a, but absolutely, you can. We're, we're <laughs> going out to dinner in a couple of hours, and it's like on the other side of town. And I was there last week. And I was like, oh, the, the, this is that Taiwanese restaurant we went to like ages ago. It's really nice. Oh, my, my wife will be so happy if I just like come home with a reservation for that place for next week, which is, you know, today. And so I popped my head in and, and, and the sign outside had said um, in, the, in, in the process of cleaning or in the process of preparing or whatever for the night. So I, it's not open yet, but the guy was there. So I popped my head in and I was like, oh, he was there. And he looked at me and I looked at him and I looked around and I was in the wrong restaurant and I didn't even know what this restaurant was, but it was just me and him standing in there. And it's too late at that point. You have to do something, you know, you, you can't just be like, oh, hi, uh, bye and run away. You're like, so I made a reservation. I made a reservation <laughs> for this restaurant. I have no idea what the kind of food it is. I have no idea if it's good or bad. I'm just, just to avoid the social awkwardness of making a mistake of going into a building I shouldn't have gone into, I made a reservation and now I'm committed to going to this this weird random restaurant tonight. So I've got that to look forward to in my, my romantic <laughs> relationship. We look forward to learning more about it uh, next week. Uh, Chris's uh, journey through the... My exciting life. Yeah, well, it is. It's kind of fun, actually. Um, uh, I'm cu- really curious how this works out. So we'll see. Good luck, my friend. Uh, I'll let you know. I'll let you know next week. Actually, no, I'll let you know in like in two weeks because I got to go do visa stuff next week. But yeah, I'll let you know as soon as I can. This is the Shift Podcast. Making money on the internet. Now, there's a couple ways you could do that. You could start your OnlyFans or whatever. You could become a uh, an artist. You can. Uh, there's all kinds of things you could do. That giggle in the background. Uh, that's a guy by the name of Ari. 
Ari joins us here on The Shift to talk about the status of the musics today. Ari Herstand, uh, multiple sort of talents here, Ari, a songwriter. You've been a part of the music industry yourself. I can share that on our video call, there's a number of guitars in the background and records on your wall and all of those things. But you also have more here. You're helping people understand how to make it in the new music business. Um, you've got that book. Uh, host of the New Music Business Podcast, the uh, New Music Business Education Company, Ari's Take. There is so much going on here. What it boils down to is Ari's trying to help people understand what the music business is today, how to get access to it, and how it all works. Ari, thanks so much for being here, man. So many people say nobody makes money on streaming today. It's all a big scam against the artists. Are people making money? Well, it's actually a myth and a misnomer that most artists aren't making money these days. I so let's it. start there. Let's debunk the myths because um, that is what a lot of the old school classic rock talking heads and all the talking heads from the old music business would like everyone to believe and to think it's not that people aren't making money in music these days. They're actually making more money today than ever before. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. It's just they're making money in a very different way than before. So it's very confusing for a lot of uh, people in the more traditional music industry, the old music business. That's what I call it. Uh, as I as I specialize in the new music business, uh, music. Money is being made in music. It's just being made in a very different way. So, and actually, the numbers came out in 2021. The global recorded music industry made more money in 2021 than they ever have in the history of the music industry before ever. We're talking even at the height of the CD era in 1999, 2021 officially surpassed that number um, for recorded music revenue. And uh, that's something that I don't think a lot of people really understand. And where did the majority of that money come from? It came from streaming. So anyone who likes to say that streaming doesn't pay, that's also completely inaccurate. Um, and the people that you're hearing that say, oh, streaming doesn't pay are the ones that just can't figure out how to get streaming to pay them. But there's a lot of money being made primarily from streaming. And there's actually tens of thousands of artists that are making a lot of money from streaming revenue and uh, fortunately spotify has actually released their numbers and they they've said they've broken this these numbers down into exactly how many artists are making money on spotify royalties alone and it's actually very impressive so um where do we what do you want to talk about there's there's the old uh music to use use your perspective the old music mentality uh -huh. there's the new music mentality and it's different from country to country in canada their mechanical rights in canada are yep. in you know uh valuable in canada if you're a songwriter your song plays on the radio you get a piece of that pie if you're a songwriter in america you don't get that same mechanical rights the same way mechanical rights seem to be one of those things that hasn't really caught up to they haven't figured that out yet i'm sure they will um but so how do we how do we talk about that and help people understand that not everybody makes the same kind of money if you're the producer if you're the singer if you're the songwriter and all these different pieces of because we sure. we group it all together like the music people yeah, yeah but they don't get all paid the same either well let's talk about that so um in in the states um if your song is played on the radio let, let's talk about the terrestrial radio um you know on the dial um and so who's getting paid from that is actually only the songwriters and we call it it's what's called performance royalties um not the artists not the record labels uh from terrestrial radio now the majority of the money these days however is being made from streaming so you mentioned mechanical royalties now mechanical royalties are being paid out uh in the states and in every other country canada around the world by various uh they call them uh collective management organizations or mechanical licensing collectors or whatever you want to call it um and mechanical royalties are paid to songwriters and publishers for streaming um they also get paid their performance royalties so there's a lot it's all this being said it's an extremely complicated industry with all these royalty streams that are broken down and that's why a lot of people say oh i'm not making any money because they don't know actually the business of it, and they don't know how to track down their money so let's just break it down um a little bit um how streaming works right now and how streaming is paying is well they pay both the mass for the recording and who owns or controls the recording of the record labels. And if you're not signed to a record label, which is actually the majority of artists these days, they're totally independent. They're distributing their music completely independently. Then that money comes from their distributor. Um, 
but that's for the people who control, they own the master recording is what they call it, the recording. Now, there are songwriters out there who wrote the songs for that recording. Oftentimes, they're not the same as the artist, or if I happen to you know, cover a song, um, I'm not going to get paid the publishing because I didn't write that song. I just recorded it. So those songwriters get paid the publishing. Now, the discrepancy lies in that the artists, well, the labels, those master rights holders, they're getting paid four to five times more than the publishers and the songwriters for the streams on streaming services. Now, this has nothing to do with streaming services saying we want to pay songwriters less. That's also a myth and a misnomer. It's the way these antiquated laws that were created uh, 100 years ago in the States uh, kind of had these breakdowns of, of what mechanical royalties need to be. And that's, uh, you know, the money that's paid to songwriters. And, and in America, mechanical royalties are, are um, regulated by the government and dictated. And so the government in the States actually says how much money songwriters are allowed to make, um, which is kind of crazy and absurd. And so the labels get to uh, negotiate with the streaming services on the open market. So that's why they're able to negotiate a lot more money. So, you know, these streaming services, they pay out two thirds of all the money that comes in. And that's actually, if you think about the CD era, what record stores used to pay out, record stores paid out less money. They kept more money. If you really think about it, if you think about like, you know, a CD uh, was sold for $18 in the height of the CD era, the record store would typically keep $8 of that, of that CD sale. And, and the, and the record companies would, would sell their CDs to the record stores for a wholesale price of $10. So if you think about that breakdown, the record stores are actually keeping more money than Spotify or Apple music are these days. Spotify and Apple music are paying out two thirds of all the money to the rights holders. The discrepancy just lies in that the labels are making a lot more money than the publishers. Artists are making a lot more money than the songwriters. Yeah, the volume of today's world. I mean, we've seen that. I mean, you look at an artist like Drake and an artist like Elton John. I mm-hmm. mean, it's hard to say which one impacted more. I mean, when it comes to streams, well, except for the fact that Elton John's been pretty dynamite lately. <laughs> but when it comes to streams, access to music today for Drake. And then you look at Elton John's numbers and you think that he had a couple other decades with somewhat limited access to his music. And look how amazing he is, right? And how his numbers are also so amazing. So keep that in perspective when you do this. When we talk about the music like this and, and the I want to make money and, and yep. doing the music and and being able to have a, make a living on that, what are some standard dollars that that you could look for you hear people toss about the one million stream number um what percentage of that i mean because i'm assuming there's probably a pretty much a a boilerplate of what that looks like i remember back in the day when janet jackson did her one cd deal and she had set a record for the most uh you know per disc sold percentage at the time it had been the biggest percentage and it was a staggering number in those old worlds does the janet jackson today like when bieber goes and does his deal does he go and he gets a different deal than if you and i put out a song and we're like let's upload it to spotify and try Mm -hmm. to get some streams what are the what's the discrepancy between those numbers between joe noob and you know the biggies well that's a great question and um let me break it down a few ways so Bieber and all the other superstars, um, for the most part, by and large, they're working with a major record label. And these major record labels, they're keeping the majority of that money that comes in. They keep around, you know, eh, just for round numbers, they're keeping about 85% of the money that comes in from streaming services. Now, if I upload my song directly to Spotify, I keep 100% because I don't have a middleman record label that's keeping that 85% from me. Uh, Now, that being said, Every record label and distributor negotiates a different royalty rate with the streaming services. Uh, It's not that much more or less. It's kind of around the same. Um, But the big thing is, is that if we're looking at uh, a million streams that I get on my song or a million streams that Justin Bieber gets on his song, I'm making more money in my pocket. Why? Because Bieber's record label is keeping 85% of his money and my distributor is keeping 0% of my money. And so I'm actually going to make more money. Now, granted, Justin Bieber is going to sell a lot more tickets than me uh, to his concerts. And his record label probably gave him a million or two million or five million dollar advance to sign the record contract in the first place. Now, all that being said, those are traditional record deals. We are seeing artists because you can distribute and upload your music directly right now and reach your fans directly without a record label. If you start to blow up and get millions of streams, say from, you know, a TikTok 
song going viral. This is happening all the time. Then labels are going to come to you and say, hey, please sign with us. And then the artist would be like, why would I sign with you and give up the majority of my money when I'm doing just fine right now? My songs are going viral. I got a lot of fans. I'm making a lot of money. So the labels are doing something now, which they've never really done. Um, you know, in the history of the music industry, it's happened with, yeah, you mentioned one of them, Janet Jackson. It happened with Ray Charles. It happened with like Taylor Swift a few years ago when she went to Universal. But it doesn't really happen that often where the labels are having to be so competitive with the independents right now that they're offering unheard of deals to new artists. That is like the breakdown. So not them keeping 85% of the money. Now they're saying, hey, we'll sign with us. We'll do a 50-50 split. We'll just do, you keep 50%, we'll keep 50%. That has never really happened before other than those you know one-off cases from superstars, uh, like you mentioned. And even more impressive is a lot of these artists are able to negotiate ownership, to retain ownership of their masters. Also, very rarely happened. You can count on one hand in the last 50 years how many times that has happened uh, up until the last three years where, yes, these record labels are offering sometimes to newer artists the ability for them to retain the rights of uh, retain ownership over the rights of their masters and doing a 50-50 royalty split and giving them a very large advance in the hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of dollars. And, you know, I'm seeing that Record label deals have changed more in the last three years than in the last 50 years. That's cool. Well, that's good news and bad news because, uh, I mean, good news, the cool thing about a record label is they already have legal, they already have a lot of the heavy lifting of the day-to-day admin stuff, which is hard for an artist to try to pull off, right? It's like selling tickets. It's like going to Ticketmaster. I know a lot of people are a fan of StubHub and Ticketmaster and all these places, Mm -hmm. but the reality at Live Nation and all those things, but the reality is is that you can have a one-shop partner that when you go to a new country, you get there, the tickets are sold, your swag is already set up at the booth, right? They've already got everything and you're basically licensing out the stuff. And I'll give you a story, Ari, and tell me your thoughts. Canadian artist friend of mine had a couple of Canadian hits, uh, was doing pretty well down in the States, you know, getting some support, got a record deal and burnt out. Mm-hmm. And the reality was, as she's gone back off, she finished the completed the terms of the deal and then went back to becoming an independent. She had to uh, increase earnings by 400% in order to be able to make the same net at the end of the day because of as part of the deal, there was certain stipulations of the amount of people and admin people that are around and everything else that came out of that that cut you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. That 85% or whatever that number was. But her number was four. She had to do four times as much four times as many shows, raise the price, everything else. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that plateau, right? Well, I charge $1,000 for a show today. Well, we're going to make you popular. You're going to be able to charge $10,000 a show. Right. But in the meantime, you're still charging $1,000 a show with more expectations. That can be a lot of work for an artist and pretty scary stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a misnomer with uh, the term DIY, do it yourself. You know, um, I've been called uh, the poster child of, of DIY music. Um, and, and I've never done anything all by myself. Nobody does anything all by themselves. It's, it's helpful. Well, it's necessary to have partners who can help you with that. Now, traditionally, those partners look like record label, publisher, promoter, attorney, publicist. You know, those are the, that's the traditional team. The team these days are look, is looking a lot different. So, yes, everybody needs partners. Um, you know, managers, has been they've been around forever, and that was part of the traditional team. But you don't need someone that's uh, a traditional manager necessarily. You can have a friend who wants to help out. The thing is, is like if you educate yourself on the business, you can do virtually everything without these gatekeepers. You know, we're in the great democratization of the music industry right now. Now, granted, you're absolutely right in the sense that uh, there is all the infrastructure laid with these big companies that know how to do everything. And believe me, I'm happy to give up a bit of commission here and there for companies that already have it down and can do it. I'm happy to pay them for the work that they will do, whether they're a big promoter, whether they're uh, an admin publisher or a label services distributor or a manager or a booking mm-hmm. agent. Yeah, they what's your time work. worth, right? Classic. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're worth, you know, you pay them for their worth. And, and that's that's fair. Now, when we get into um, where the lines gets a little bit more gray in terms of what is fair and what is shady, I mean, historically, the major record labels and some managers and, and other people in the industry have taken advantage of artists and they've done very shady practices. 
And so, you know, I'm just looking for transparency and to empower artists with the knowledge of what a fair deal looks like, what is out there, what are the deals out there. And as long as the artist knows going into a negotiation, what is fair, then they can decide for themselves, is this a deal that makes sense for me or not? And now we are finally in an era where there's enough information out there and that artists can arm themselves with that information to go into every negotiation with every company or partner, whoever they want to do business with and say, oh, okay, this, I don't need to rely on an attorney that's charging $700 an hour. I can, I know from the get-go, this seems like a fair deal because I know the other deals that are out there, but more so I've done it myself now for the last five years. I don't want to do it. I'm going to pay somebody to do it. And oh, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you 20% commission for to do that work. Yeah, and then you pay the lawyer just the final groom to make sure there's nothing sneaky in the contract. And then it's an admin exactly. fee, which is a heck of a lot better of a bill at the end of the day, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's amazing. So when you look at the music today, I suppose you're right, right? To to acknowledge what you're saying, your um, your crew, if you will, your posse that's cruising around. I mean, it, in today's world, it's a couple of videographers. It's mm-hmm. um, you know a video editor that's able to do socials on the fly. It's a yes. photographer that's taking pictures, building that that brand that way as opposed to um, the old way. And when you look backwards in time at groups like the Beastie Boys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't see footage of we don't see footage of Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac and some of those other epic artists the same way that we saw the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys had that awareness to create uh, the yearbook, if you will, right? The journal as they went along. And some artists have that and some artists don't, which I guess lends to your point about you got to do what you're best at. Mm-hmm. and get it done and, and today's world is a lot different because everybody's mm-hmm. doing it like the beastie boys did it now you've got to have this army of people that constantly are grabbing the content yes. feed the dragon grab the content and that must be a big part of you know not only do you have to write the song you know when you look at charlie puth and a lot of these artists of today they write their songs specific like one republic they write their songs specifically for the live experience of hearing their songs right they well, don't want to write songs that are, are crappy in a stadium yeah and so so they're, they're they're creating from a different place than it used to be back in the day 100 percent. and charlie puth great example he he's making tiktoks from the studio while he is actually creating you never really saw that before sometimes you bring in a documentary crew to be a fly on the wall in the studio you know i've seen those old rolling stones videos uh where they're creating in the studio and it's so cool to see that old footage and whatnot but now it's the artists themselves doing it right now and getting real-time feedback putting their phone and recording themselves and putting a tiktok video of them in studio in the moment so whether they have uh you know friends that are helping record it or the artist is just doing it themselves no matter how big you are we're seeing artists do that but you're right it is a, a new team that we're looking at right now it's not the traditional form of a team and it takes a lot a lot different um, tactics to succeed these days. And if you want to build the fan base, it's like, no, you, you don't want to have a documentary crew uh, following you on tour and then put that uh, footage out three years later. That footage needs to be out three minutes later. And that's what we're seeing right now. That's what that's what fans kind of expect. And so it just looks a lot different. Also, it's a lot cheaper. You know, you don't need to hire that documentary crew to come on the road with you. All you need mm-hmm. to do is pull out your phone. And that's going to be a lot more captivating than something um, just because the fans are going to be following you in real time. Yeah, it's real cool stuff, Ari. When you describe it that way, right? This is the way it used to be, right? You used to release the record, and then the record would sort of get play through the singles, and then it would start to burn out, and then you'd get the super box set with the DVD and the concert from the tour, right? And then they right. would scale it and scale it and try to get as much leverage out as possible. In today's world, you have Taylor Swift, who's in the studio recording a song, and then posts a, a TikTok video or an Instagram uh, video or whatever reel, and then in the background, all she has to say is, guess who's hanging out with me in the studio today and then all of a sudden say there's charlie puth standing with her and then the world goes wild because why is charlie puth in the studio is he just bringing coffee or you know Mm -hmm. the marketing aspects must be really exciting at that point 
Yeah, and it, you know, it used to be the paparazzi uh, following Taylor Swift around and trying to and snapping a photo of Puth coming into the studio, and then the the rumor mill would go. And now the artists get to uh, control the message a lot more these days. Uh, and paparazzi, honestly, is kind of losing work because our artists are doing it themselves, and the celebrities are doing it themselves, and people aren't fans don't need to buy the magazines or click on TMZ anymore. They can just follow the artist's Instagram or TikTok. That's so cool. Is it the uh, genocide of the gatekeeper? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, it, you know, I say the most uh, powerful gatekeeper in the music industry right now is not a person. It's the TikTok algorithm. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other conversation, Ari. Yep. <laughs> we could, that's Watch a mystical. Out. They're coming a mystical for us. One. The robots. They're here. Yep. <laughs> the robots are here. Actually, have you heard, like, I'm sure you've heard some of those, the bots that are making music and they're taking and they're feeding in the top 10. They'll oh, feed yeah. in like the top 10 pop songs of the day today and they'll let the AI bots interpret it. And then they'll kick out a song and say, this is the best song that can be based on the, the parameters that you've given us. The best song you could make today is this song. And it's, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they have, you know, they have AI uh, pop stars in Korea right now, um, which is mind boggling to me. And, and you know, at some point it's just like, all right, well, uh, boy bands have always been put together, uh, manufactured by the machine, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, what's kind of the difference manufacturing an AI or manufacturing a boy band or, you know, when you have this whole machine uh, putting out these songs? Uh, but there's always going to be a place for artistic human expression. Yeah. There will be, you know, sure, pop is pop. And that's uh, that's a whole other niche and category. And uh, fandom, that's always been around. But there will always be human artistic expression. You know, there's never going to be AI folk. That's not something because there's the nature of what folk music is, is you resonate with their human stories. Yeah, well, and that's the truth, right? Connection of humans. We all seem to come back to that mindful place of being connected again. And all of a sudden, we're back into psychedelia of the 60s, man. Love all the people, man. <laughs> Take me back. Take yeah, me back. <laughs> and then we're all it's full circle again. So it's pretty cool yep. stuff. I love it. Um, again, you can introduce yourself to Ari. I'll post some of the links up, by the way, on the shiftheads.ca Facebook group for everyone to get it. Ari Herstand, songwriter. That's how it all started. And now it's so much more. The book, How to Make It in the New Music Business. Pass that on to someone, if you know, by the way, that is uh, trying to slog it out. Um, also host of the New Music Business Podcast, co-founder of the Music Business Education Company, Ari's take uh it's insightful all right really appreciate it man love the work thank you so much thanks for listening to the shift podcast make sure you subscribe rate and review the show and share with anyone you like get it on apple podcast google podcast spotify and curiouscast.ca